As we begin a new course of study in Come Follow Me, it behooves us to orient ourselves as to what our goals are and what the nature is of what we'll be studying this year, the Book of Mormon. I'm Mark Holt, and this is Gospel Doctrine. Gospel Doctrine. I'm excited to start a new year worth of studies with you. As always, if you have questions about the things we will be studying or the things we have studied, send email to gt at gospeldoctrine.com. And if you would like to spread the word, remember to give us a five-star rating on Facebook or using the podcast app on your iPhone and your reviews. All of those things help, as does just spreading the word by word of mouth. So in this week's lesson, We are charged to study those materials that precede the actual scripture in the Book of Mormon. So that includes the title page, which is simply uh, a modern title page with not any information on it. And then what's called the title page of the Book of Mormon. Now this is an actual ancient record. It's part of the scriptural explanation of the Book of Mormon. And we can presume that it was written by the prophet Moroni before he died because it makes reference to the Book of Ether. Uh, So that's the title page and the title page of the Book of Mormon. Then the introduction, which is a modern uh, composition as well. And this sort of gives a brief explanation, which is interesting because there's also a section here called the brief explanation about the Book of Mormon. Um, So those those are a few of the things in the beginning. And then we also have the testimony of three witnesses, and the testimony of eight witnesses. To give you uh, a brief synopsis of what those are, the testimony of three witnesses are three people who saw the book, uh, the the golden plates revealed by the power of God in the presence of an angel who testified as to what they were and heard the voice of God. So this is sort of the divine testimony of witnesses. And those witnesses are Oliver Cowdery, David Whitmer, and Martin Harris. And it's interesting to note, you may have heard that one or that all of all three of these men at one point or another uh, had their falling outs with Joseph Smith. But uh, it's interesting that none of them ever recounted the testimony that they gave in the testimony of three witnesses. The same is true of uh, most of the, the, witness, the eight witnesses. None of them ever recounted their testimony, al- although many of them had their differences at different times with Joseph Smith. Uh, so the the early history of the church was very tumultuous and very difficult for a lot of people. Joseph Smith, just like uh, Peter and the other apostles after the death and ascension of Jesus Christ, uh, they were figuring things out for a long time. And there was violence, there was government, there were problems with government entities, and there were problems with converts and former converts, uh, rumors about them, etc. And therefore, uh, they had some difficult times because they didn't have, for example, they didn't have a solid plan of succession, as we know from the stories about uh, the succession crisis after the death of Joseph Smith. And same thing was true of the original apostles. They didn't know exactly, they were sort of cast adrift and they had to figure it out. And so uh, there were some conflicts among even people that found their way onto the, the list of eight witnesses of the Book of Mormon. And yet, interestingly enough, through all of this, through all of the hard times, m- relocating multiple times, none of these 11 witnesses ever recounted their testimony. 
so eight, the eight witnesses were those men who were chosen to just look upon the, the golden plates and just see them physically without any sort of spiritual manifestation other than perhaps the, the influence of the Holy Ghost, the whisperings of the Holy Ghost. Whereas the three witnesses testified that an angel appeared and showed them the golden plates. The testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith, this is taken from the Pearl of Great Price account from Joseph Smith history. And this is where Joseph talks about how he was praying in his room. This is after the account of the first vision and how he was praying in his room three years later. And he had, though he had received this vision, he wasn't given further instructions at that time. And three years later, he was praying saying, you know, I I know I've received a vision. uh, And since then, I I haven't been as sober as I think I should have. And therefore, I'm repenting before the Lord. And and that's when he had uh, this vision of the, the angel Moroni who appeared to him and revealed that he would be the means, Joseph Smith would be the means of bringing forth uh, the truth to his generation and, and ushering in the final dispensation, what would be called the dispensation of the fullness of time. So Joseph Smith testifies about this vision that he had, and then subsequent visions. Uh, first of all, Moroni appeared three times in a row, repeating essentially the same message with little additions each time, and then a fourth time in the morning, and then he also, for four years, he, re- he appeared to Joseph Smith once every year. He showed him where the plates were, and then he said, you, you're not ready for these yet. And each year, Joseph Smith had to come back. And then uh, he, was, he was given further training, further admonitions, and finally he received the plates. Now, uh, and I believe he was 21 years, of old when, 21 years of age when that happened. And when that happened, as he testifies here, he said, it was, it was clear to me, and I'm paraphrasing, not quoting, but, and this is... Uh, in the testimony of the prophet Joseph Smith section found at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. He said, it was clear to me why I had been given such training and such very powerful admonitions against sharing this, because as soon as I got the plates in my hands, all kinds of means were put into play to get them away from me. Any sort of method that anyone could use to attack the plates or to destroy them or to steal them was used. And if I hadn't been as prepared as I was, then they would have been successful. But God had promised Joseph that if he followed all the directions that he'd received, then the plates would be protected. And then he also testifies that eventually he delivered the plates back to Moroni once his work of translation was done. One of the, one of the questions that we're going to be concerned with during, uh, during this entire year and it's going to come up over and over again. I'm not going to make a big deal out of it each time, but I think it's worth mentioning. And that is, who actually wrote the Book of Mormon? Because even for people who've been lifelong members of the church, you, I'm sure you come in contact with people who are going to say, look, uh, it's obvious that Joseph Smith didn't translate the Book of Mormon. He composed it. And as I mentioned in uh, our, our special episode last time, the question of the the provenance of the Book of Mormon was left open for a reason. It would have been easy for God to allow Joseph Smith to keep the golden plates and then put them in a museum somewhere and make them available for scholars to study. This would have been definitive proof of the Book of Mormon's origins. There would have been no refuting it. We could have dated the, and God obviously knew this, eventually scientists would have been able to date the metal on the plates or the carving on the plates or some in some way they would have been able to verify uh, its, its age and then they would have been able to say, well, let's, uh, 
now that we know what the Book of Mormon actually says, let's compare it to the carvings on these plates or the engravings, and then we can decode the language and that would have been proof positive right there. If Joseph Smith had got the translation right, then it would have matched up. And so the golden plates, had Joseph Smith been allowed to keep them and had he been allowed to make them available, uh, they would have been proof positive of the origins of the Book of Mormon. The fact that Moroni took those plates back tells us one very important fact, and that is that God did not intend for that to be proven. Uh, God intended us to have a choice in what we believe about the Book of Mormon. And this is in stark contrast to the Bible. The nature of the Bible is such that everyone knows, even if they don't know that it is a record from God, they know that people have treated it as such, and they have done so for thousands of years. And that's uh, that's irrefutable. Whether you believe that the, the people who wrote the Bible were actually prophets or inspired of God or whether God exists at all. That is still up to you to choose, but you cannot refute that the Bible is what it claims to be. Now, you can refute, you, or you can refuse to accept, that the Book of Mormon is what it claims to be. You have to believe Joseph Smith's account, and in order to believe that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon, it would be hard to believe that Joseph transmade, translated the Book of Mormon and not believe that he had the vision that he claims to have had, the first vision. So this may not be 100% true, but most people who accept the veracity of the Book of Mormon, I would, I would guess that they would not refute the, the authenticity of Joseph's vision. That would seem to be to be very a very strange thing to do. You believe a man who's a liar, but you uh, you believe him when he claims to have found an ancient record, and then an angel took it away again after he translated it. So, either it's it's sort of an either or. It's it's maybe not a hundred percent, but it's very close. It's sort of an either or. Either you believe that Joseph was a prophet, and that he saw God and Jesus Christ, and you believe that the Book of Mormon is an authentic ancient record or you believe neither of those two things. But generally, you won't believe one and not the other. If you believe that, Likewise, if you believe that Joseph did have his first vision, uh, it would be hard to think about God that he would be so silly as to appear to somebody that he couldn't later trust uh, to, to translate the Book of Mormon, or, or somebody that would later claim to translate a book and not actually do it. It, it would seem strange that God would actually appear to such a person. So if the first vision happened and Joseph Smith's accounts of that were true, then it seems like a very, very reasonable conclusion. In fact, it seems almost inescapable that the Book of Mormon is what it purports to be. And conversely, if the Book of Mormon is what it purports to be, then Joseph Smith did in fact have his first vision. So when you make that choice in what you believe about the Book of Mormon, you're making the choice as to the authenticity of the prophetic calling, calling of Joseph Smith. There are church congregations who accept the Book of Mormon, they accept the prophetic calling of Joseph Smith, and they don't accept, uh, at some point they broke from church history, whether it was uh, at the beginning of the administration of Brigham Young, or whether it was later in the 20th century when the church finally started uh, excommunicating those who refused to stop practicing polygamy. There, there have been people who have started offshoot congregations from the very beginning, the most notable of which 
was that the what used to be called the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is today called the Community of Christ. And for most of my lifetime, and for obviously a long time before that, they believed in Joseph Smith, they believed the Book of Mormon, they claimed most of the things that we claimed. Uh, they never had a, a history of plural marriage or that practice. That, chur- that church was begun by the descendants of, by people who, uh, I don't want to say manipulated, but some people say manipulated. It was begun by the descendants of Joseph Smith and other people who put them in positions of power. And so the belief was that it had to be a direct descendant of Joseph Smith leading that church. So not only should you choose, not only do you need to choose whether or not to believe the Book of Mormon, but then that choice is almost synonymous with believing the prophetic calling of Joseph Smith. But then uh, it would also be important to choose whether you believe that the line of prophets has continued up to the modern day, up to the present day, with Russell M. Nelson. And that those, those two different choices, they are different choices, um, would be important to have, a, to have a testimony of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Now, the, the idea of testimony, I've, I've been talking about that for a couple of minutes now, and the reason I talk about it is because the subtitle of the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ. And as we discussed uh, throughout the last year, the word testament actually means covenant. And so a lot of people, when they, when they read the Book of Mormon and then they read its subtitle, they think what I think was intended originally, right? The, the subtitle was intended to, to read this way. The Book of Mormon, another testimony of Jesus Christ. In other words, it testament means a, a work of scripture. When you talk about the Old Testament, you don't think, oh, this is the Old Covenant, or, or at least most people don't think, this is the Old Covenant, this is the story of God's relationship to his people under the covenant of Moses, the covenant that he made with them on Mount Sinai, where he said, I will be to you as a God, and you will be to me a people. And... And if you will obey these commandments which I give you, then you you shall never fail. Now that was the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, as we re- as we read in Jeremiah chapter thirty one. Uh, God said that one day I'll make a new covenant. It won't be like the old covenant I made on Mount Sinai because they broke that one. But one day I'll make a new one, and that one they'll keep. And in the New Testament we read about that new covenant. And, that, and so that's why it's called the New Testament, because it's the story of God's dealing with people under that covenant. We don't think that when we hear the word testament. We think, oh, it's the Old Testament, the old work of Scripture, the New Testament, a new work of Scripture. And so that's kind of how the word was used. This is my opinion. I don't have, uh, at, this was under uh, Spencer W. Kimball. I don't, I don't have actual uh, written testimony from Spencer W. Kimball saying this is why they did it, but I, I, I'm assuming this is why they chose these words, because this, this subtitle was added to the Book of Mormon in 1982. Uh, another testament of Jesus Christ, another work of scripture about Jesus Christ. It's important that people who look at the Book of Mormon, they don't think, oh, this is a book about a man named Mormon. No, this is a work of scripture, and it's about Jesus Christ. However, that being said, 
does the Book of Mormon fit the description of an of a testament the way the Old Testament does, and the way the New Testament does? Uh, this, the reason I've spent so much time talking about this is because I actually had a uh, one of the questions that I was going to answer last time and decided to answer this time it was from Michael in Salt Lake City, and he says my question is twofold. One. Do you think the word testament in the title of the Book of Mormon is referring to an additional and or separate covenant from the, quote, New Testament in the Bible? Or is testament simply meant to mean a Christ-centered scriptural text in the context of this title? So, great question. There's another, there's part two. There's another question here, but I'll, I'll answer this one first. So the word testament, the original, I believe the intent of the word was, this is another Christ-centered scriptural text. However, if, uh, if history is any indication, anytime you assume the brethren just don't know what they're doing and they use the word testament or they used an important word by accident, uh, you're generally going to be disappointed later. And I'm not saying that's what Michael's done, but I'm saying um, if we make that assumption, then we're on dangerous ground. I believe they knew what they were doing, and I believe they meant the word testament in every sense of the word. So one sense of the word is that it's a that it's a scriptural text. So another testament of Jesus Christ means this is another scriptural text where Jesus Christ figures prominently, or the doctrine of Christ is taught. However, is the Book of Mormon a covenant? Now, as we'll talk about next week when we discuss uh, the first seven chapters of the Book of Mormon, Early on, Nephi, when, when Nephi goes to the Lord and says, Hey, listen, I've, uh, I want, I've heard my dad talk about the fact that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, but I want to know it for myself. And God says to Nephi, Yes, um, blessed art thou, Nephi, because you've come unto me, and I'm going to take you to a promised land. And when we get there, if you obey my commandments, you will be prospered. And your brothers, if they don't obey my commandments, they'll be cut off from my presence. You see that covenant, and that is a covenant, right? That is God saying it's the same exact, there's the, there's the same kind of, uh, if you do this, you will get this blessing. If you don't do this, you will have this curse, as we see in the Old Testament. And additionally, it has to do with specific people. It has to do with the place. Um, it, it has the same gravity as the Mosaic covenant, and it has the same gravity as the covenant that Christ introduced in his last supper and therefore this is a covenant so the the book of mormon is the story of this covenant with one of god's people every bit as much as the old testament is a story of a covenant with god's people and so is the new testament the uh, the book of mormon is another testament of jesus christ exactly this in exactly the same way as the old testament talks about god's dealings with the the Jews in Israel thousands of years before Christ and the way the New Testament talks about the Jews in Israel at the time of Christ. So that's another meaning of the word testament. However, uh, I want to also draw your attention to a, to a scripture in Doctrine and Covenants chapter 84. And most people know Doc, DNC 84 as the, the section that contains the oath and covenant of the priesthood. But if, after you read that those, those verses, which end in verse 44, you keep going, then you read that there's a particular covenant that, that God has renewed in our day. Uh, I'm starting, I'm, I'm in Doctrine and Covenants 84, and I'm starting in verse 48. 
the uh, everyone that oh, I'm going to start in verse 47. Everyone that hearkeneth to the voice of the Spirit cometh unto God, even the Father, and the Father teacheth him of the covenant which he has renewed and confirmed upon you, which is confirmed upon you for your sakes, and not for your sakes only, but for the sake of the whole world. So we're left to wonder, what is this covenant that God has renewed and confirmed upon the people of the church at that time? Not just for their sakes, but for the whole world. If you read a little further, then you get to verse 57. Uh, the, the Lord has been talking about a condemnation that's resting on the children of Zion. And in verse 57, he says, They shall remain under this condemnation until they repent and remember the new covenant, even the Book of Mormon and the former commandments which I have given them, not only to say but to do according to that which I have written. And so the Book of Mormon, not it's not just a testament, meaning a book of scripture, and it's not just a testament, meaning the story of one of God's covenants and his dealings with the people that had that covenant. It is also itself a covenant. And God says very clearly here in DNC 8457, he says that, that the people of the church are under condemnation for not remembering this particular covenant, which is the Book of Mormon. Not just to say that they will do what is written there, but to actually do it. Therefore, the, the Book of Mormon has two covenant people. The people that lived during the time when it was being written, and the people today. We are those people that God is dealing with when he's talking about his new covenant. Now, is the new covenant different from the covenant? I've, I've read this week, I've read a few complaints from people online saying, oh, the Book of Mormon, they claim to have another testament of Jesus Christ. What's wrong with the, the, the new covenant that Christ revealed? That one's good enough for me. And so then they decide, well, I'm just not going to pay any attention to the Book of Mormon because right away their first claim that the Book of Mormon is another testament of Jesus Christ, it turns me off. So the problem with this reasoning is nobody ever said that we were abandoning the covenant of Jesus Christ. In fact, what what Joseph Smith said about our new covenant that we have, it's, it's a new and everlasting covenant, meaning it's new for every group of people, every population of God's people that accepts the entire gospel. And the entire gospel and all the covenants that are contained within it are always called the new and everlasting covenant because it's always the same. But for each people, it's new. It has to be restored. And so the new and everlasting covenant includes everything that Jesus Christ taught and what he said about the sacrament. And it includes the duty and the necessity of paying attention to a modern prophet. Just as it contained that necessity after Christ left the earth and left Paul and Peter and John and the other apostles to teach and convert those people in the ancient Roman Empire. So they had to depend on continuing revelation in order to lead the church and the people of the church at that time, the new converts and the Jewish converts and the Roman converts, they believed that Peter and John and Paul were in communication with God in order to know how to do that. And that was part of the covenant. They covenanted that they would listen to the voice of God through his prophets. And so that's that's a, an integral part of the modern new and everlasting covenant is that we are agreeing that we're going to listen to the word of God through his prophets. Now, the fact that the Book of Mormon is an ancient record, if you accept it as such, 
doesn't mean that you that it can't be part of a new covenant. Because it was revealed lately, and because one of the things we learn from the Book of Mormon is that it was written, it was compiled, uh, Mormon was shown our day. He was shown our culture. He was shown the way that we think, and God inspired him as he compiled this record from, and if you read the brief explanation of the Book of Mormon, it talks about four different sets of plates, but later in the in the late parts of the Book of Mormon, you actually read that Mormon was compiling this, the hundredth part of what was written couldn't be preserved, and so Mormon was compiling this from thousands of plates. And so if uh, as he was compiling this, he was shown our day, and he was writing those messages, and he was cherry-picking those particular lessons that he knew would be most important for us, not for the people of his time, and specifically not for the people that lived a thousand years before his time, uh, but for the people of our day. And I say a thousand years before because the Book of Mormon roughly covers a thousand years in chronological history, and Mormon wrote at the end of those thousand years. So he, he can't have done any good to the people who lived in the time of Nephi, for example. He, and he couldn't even really do any good to the people who lived at his own time because they were so wicked they wouldn't listen to him. Uh, obviously, the, so the Book of Mormon covers roughly a thousand years, and obviously there is uh, an earlier time period that it covers as well in the Book of Ether. But those people were even farther from uh, being able to receive benefit from Mormon's writings because they were further in the past. So Mormon was writing not for the people of his own time because they were too wicked, not for the people of his own past because they would never see it, and not for the people of the near future because the records he knew would, were soon to be buried up. In fact, he charged his son, hide these records. Uh, he knew that he was writing for our day, and, and so did Moroni. Moroni knew. Uh, he wrote that you're going to read these words. They're going to feel like they're coming from the dust. And so he he knew exactly what it would sound like to us. So the Book of Mormon is not like any other work of scripture. It is, uh, even though it's an ancient record, it very much has a modern voice to it. It has a modern perspective, and that's because it was prophets who were compiling these words. It wasn't always prophets. In many cases, it was prophets that were writing the original histories, but not always. But then a prophet took their words and put them together, into one volume. And so when Joseph Smith began, or when God called Joseph Smith to initiate the the dispensation of the fullness of times, he chose to reveal a, a work of scripture whose provenance, whose history could not be independently verified. Therefore, he had to choose if you wanted to accept it or not. It was part of a church whose prophetic, whose leader's prophetic calling you had to choose to accept or not. And therefore, as we go throughout this year, there, there may be times when you read in the Book of Mormon, you say, wow, that's different from anything that I've accepted before. If, you, if you've been a lifetime member of the church, maybe this won't happen for you. But if you're someone who's not a member of the church, or if you're new to the church, you might think, I didn't realize that that was in the Book of Mormon. It's different from what I've learned about what Christ has taught in other places. And that, I, I just want to really make it clear at the beginning it's okay to have that reaction. Uh, the Book of Mormon is different, and the Book of Mormon explains why it's different, and that's because 
the, the, the things that were the, the plainest to believe about Jesus Christ have not survived in the Bible, whether it was because uh, they weren't copied, or they weren't written down in the first place, or they were just mistakenly removed, or whether the, there, there are missing books in the Bible the way, um, the way that there are missing books in the Book of Mormon. I shouldn't say missing, but there are books that are referred to, both in the Bible and the Book of Mormon, that we don't have. And therefore, it could be that uh, the, the precious things, the plain things that could be in the Bible, that could be uh, present for all the people of the world to read about Jesus Christ. We, we could all have known that the Jews knew about Christ before his, his birth if we had those records that were written before he was born, and yet they, we don't have them. And so that's the difference. Uh, the Book of Mormon has preserved many of those things that are uh, plain and precious, as they're called. And they're plain because they're so clear. It's clear that the people of the Book of Mormon before Jesus Christ's birth believed everything that is important to believe about Jesus Christ, including all the things that the Christian populations in the ancient Near East believed about him, including the things that Christ taught himself during his mortal ministry. The people of the Book of Mormon believed all of that centuries before he came to earth. And precious because without those doctrines, uh, then you can have all of the differences in interpretation that you have with the Bible. And the Book of Mormon preserved those precious things so that everything could be so clear. So that's a long answer to a short question, but the, the Book of Mormon is both, is a testament in three ways. It is a, a, an ancient work, work of scripture. It is uh, the story of God's dealings with his people over one of his covenants, and it is in itself a covenant. So the Book of Mormon is a testament more completely than either the Old Testament or the New Testament, and it abrogates neither of them. There's nothing in the Book of Mormon that would say the Bible is not true, or the old, either the Old or the New Testament. Uh, but on the contrary, it confirms the truth of the Bible. The Bible itself says that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And the Book of Mormon is very much another witness to the truths that are introduced to modern people via the Bible. Part two of Michael's question is, is the new and everlasting covenant referred to in the Doctrine and Covenants the same or separate from the New Testament taught in Hebrews, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel? Such a wonderful question. And I think I've given a, a partial answer to that, and I'll just finish that, which is, we have a more complete version today of the new and everlasting covenant, but every, pos every population of God's people throughout history have all been worshiping according to what the prophets could reveal at that time. And in that sense, they've had the everlasting covenant. Uh, every time that uh, God's prophet has spoken on the earth, it has been one, of, one instance, one dispensation of God's everlasting covenant. And so we are living during one of God's everlasting covenant, what we call the new covenant, because it, we, the world was in a state of apostasy for so long. Now, the reason why I spent most of this lesson's time answering one question was because that, to me, was the interesting part of thinking about my, the beginning of my study as the Book of Mormon. It wasn't the fact that I wanted to read through the title page again and, and take apart every word. I invite you to do that. I think it would be very profitable. But for me, uh, it was one word in the subtitle of the Book of Mormon on the very cover that captured my interest the most, and that was summed up in this one question. 
And so I wanted to spend most of my time thinking about that and talking about that. And I, uh, I challenge you, as we begin a year-long a year study of the Book of Mormon, I challenge you to make a goal to increase and deepen or perhaps gain your testimony of this marvelous work. Uh, there's nothing else like it. The idea that someone with Joseph Smith's age, inexperience, lack of education could have composed it, to me, boggles my mind the, that anyone could believe that, especially the, the number of times that I've read it. I've struggled with the question. I won't deny it. But each time, uh, then I read something that, that I, I know that I personally couldn't have come up with. I'm much more educated than Joseph Smith was. I have training in writing fiction. Uh, and I know a lot of people who are way more skilled in both areas than I am. And I don't, I know that I would be incapable of even coming close to anything resembling the Book of Mormon's profundity and power. And I also know that any of the other fiction writers that I know personally would say the same thing. They would say, I couldn't, I could never come up with something like that. Uh, a team of people could never come from the modern age, could never come up with something like this. Now, all of this is my opinion. Uh, the point is, you have a choice. As I said earlier, you have a choice as to what to believe. And you also, should you choose that you want to believe the Book of Mormon is true, you're not done. God hasn't asked you simply to choose and then have that be it. You choose it, and then you believe it forever because you chose it. Uh, you choose to believe the Book of Mormon is true, and then you ask the Spirit to confirm it. The promise of the Book of Mormon is that the Spirit will do so. My own experience with my testimony of the Book of Mormon, uh, well, I'll, I'll share that with you as the year goes on, but I'll share with you one failed attempt, and that is when uh, I always thought that I would receive a testimony of the Book of Mormon when I was done reading it. And so I waited until I was, I was not the most studious uh, in gospel subjects of high school students. And so when, I was, when we were studying the Book of Mormon in seminary, I remember f getting to the end of that year and I'd finished reading the Book of Mormon and I got to Moroni's Promise and I thought, okay, I've read the whole Book of Mormon. Now I'm going to pray about it and God is going to answer. And so I said a prayer and nothing happened. I did not receive a spiritual witness of the truth of this book at that moment. And so then I thought, oh, that means that this pro promise is not actually true. Now, I'll, I will uh, con contrast that with a story from my mission. Uh, I had a family that wanted to be baptized or that was willing to be baptized, but the, the husband and wife or the father and mother were living in the home uh, and they weren't married to each other. And so I'd, my companion and I have had challenged them uh, to be married and they'd said well we're not sure you know we don't we don't know that we want to do this that's a lot of work it's very hard uh, this these were small islands and to get their records and then to plan a, a wedding ceremony it was not their culture so it presented a difficulty and my companion and I did what we were told to do in that situation which is challenge them to read and pray about the Book of Mormon we came back time after time we said have you read the book and they said no and then we'd come back again. Have you read the book? We said no. And one time we came back, and uh, the mother, I remember the mother had the, the most calm look on her face. And I said, have you read the book? And she said, yes. And I said, did you pray about it? And she said, yes. And I said, are you ready to do what it takes to be baptized? And she said, yes. She, I know for a fact she had not read the entire Book of Mormon. She had read enough uh, 
to receive a spiritual witness. My point is, everyone is different. Some people can read a single page. Some people can hold the book in their hands. If you've ever seen the the old church movie, How Rare a Possession, uh, some people can find the book without missionaries and without a cover and be converted to its truthfulness. Uh, Some people need to read the book several times. Some people, uh, because they've grown up with it, they don't understand just how profound and how earth-shattering it is and how new the teachings in it are to people who have been hungering for more news of Jesus Christ. And so it might take them a few more readings to fully appreciate those and to have that sink in. All of that is is just fine. All of it is okay for you. So take the Book of Mormon this year, study it, read it, treasure it, choose to believe it, and then put the Lord to the test. Pray about it. Ask him if it's true. And uh, if it is, then he will keep his promise. And in any case, I believe you'll have an experience unlike any you've had with any other book. As Joseph Smith said, the Book of Mormon is the most correct book on earth, and a man will get closer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And so it is my testimony that the Book of Mormon will affect us spiritually this year. It will bring us closer to Christ as we study it, and that God will be with us in that study. And I'm glad to be taking this journey with you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This has been Gospel Doctrine, a nonprofit podcast hosted and produced by Mark Holt with bumper music by Kendra Holt. Gospel Doctrine is not affiliated with nor endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.